Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. All right, good morning, everyone. Oh, that was weak. Weak? Good morning. Ooh, that's better. Gee, everybody seems kind of weary and tired for some reason. What a week, huh? Wow. Uh, good to see everybody got dug out. Everybody that's here got dug out. Uh, that was a, that was kind of a doozy of a storm. Um, a few people asked me if it was like Montana storms, and, and uh, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And the these storms uh, like that. Um, so it was about three or four days before that when they started forecasting. How, how bad it was going to be with the winds and everything. I, I started getting nervous, and, and I started getting anxiety um, because I have PTSD on, on storms, blizzards like that, because I've lived through more than one of them in, in Montana, and, and I know that, that how dangerous they are and how they kill livestock and they kill people and things like that, and so I, I started to worry. And, I mean, it was – you can ask my wife when she gets back from Mexico um, – she and Coy just ditched me the day the day after the storm. It drifts this tall, and they they got on a plane to Mexico, and so uh, they're smart. Yeah, you can see you can see the the low end of the the uh, spectrum in my family, right? I stayed here, but uh, anyway, so you can ask her. I was start I was getting pretty anxious about it because because uh, uh, I know how those things go, and and. Uh, so I started getting, you know, probably a little, you know, little little on the too anxious side, and and so I figured I better go to the Bible and and see what it says about worrying and anxiety and things like that, and and so it really helped because uh, because what it says is, uh, Scripture says two things to help with worry is to prepare and prayer. Okay, those two things will help you. So that's what I did. Started figuring out how to get get cattle situated where where they could get out of the storm and have had cows getting ready to calve got them down in the brush where they'd have the best chance got big hay bales put out and feeders for everything and and uh got the you know had a good friend that loaned me a generator and so because i knew we were going to be out of power and i got a gas stove that that'll run you know if i have a generator run the fan got got food stocked in and filled all the water jugs i could find and things like that and and uh just did everything I could think of to, to prepare, and then got the family situated, and, and we were ready to go. So that helped a lot. And then the second part of that, which is probably the more important part, is the prayer part. And that's, I was in continual prayer for, for two or three days like that. And, and you know, unfortunately, that's a lot of times what it takes, right, is we got to have an impending disaster before we'll get with God in continual prayer. But I got to practice that. And... Uh, so those two things really helped alleviate my anxiety, and by the time that storm came, I, you know, it, it had really subsided to the point where it's like, well, it's in your hands now, God. And so, it got me thinking about about storms, and and biblically, there's uh, there's some examples of storms, and I'm reading a book that Kevin gave me for Christmas, and it's a great book written by John Carson, and and it he goes through the the New Testament and and, and all the scripture and kind of explains in his words uh, kind of what it means and 
And he, and he says there's two types of storms. And the first one is a storm of correction. And the, that is a storm, uh, think of Jonah. Um, when, when Jonah was asked to do something for God, he blatantly disobeyed. He, in fact, uh, God told him to go west and he, and he went east, or opposite. God told him to go east and he went west. And so God allowed a big storm on the ship uh, to help Jonah see the error of his ways. And, and Jonah did and, and then decided to go ahead and, and obey. And so God allows storms in our lives a lot of times uh, to help with correction because cause we're going the wrong direction. And, and it, whether it be blatant disobedience or just, or just you know, distraction or, or sin or whatever, um, He'll allow those storms in our lives to to help us find correction and and turn to Him and and uh, and find His way rather than going our own way. And the second type of storm is a storm of perfection. And th- those are storms where where uh, God allows a storm not not because we're disobeying. A lot of times we are disobeying, but He's helping us to fine tune ourselves and refine ourselves and in get a better relationship with him. And there's an example of that when in Matthew, um, in Matthew 14, the, uh, <clears throat> the disciples, uh, Jesus tells the disciples that he, he had just fed, you know, 5,000 people uh, and tells the disciples to get in the boat and go across the Sea of Galilee. And so they obeyed. They were obeying his command. Well, a big storm came up, and, uh, of course, they were scared, and, and those disciples have PTSD too about storms on the Sea of Galilee. They, most of them were fishermen. They knew what a bad storm on that sea meant. You know, Twenty-foot waves and, and it could tear a boat apart and, and drown people. And and so they were <coughs> ter- terrified. And uh, God allowed that to test their faith. And Peter, you know, there's a, you know Kevin has talked about it. And Peter stepped out of the boat. And as long as he was looking at God, he was fine. But as soon as he got scared because of the storm, he started sinking. And and Jesus says, well, you know, where's your faith? And it's funny because they just they just saw him do do I don't know how many miracles, right? And he just fed five thousand people with a few fish and, and a couple loaves of bread, and yet they still lacked faith in that instance. Uh, and so it kind of makes me uh, feel a little better about my worry and anxiety and ahead of this storm because you know the Bible says worry is is a sign of a lack of faith, and. Uh, you know, I figure if if uh, we can't, like Kevin had said, uh, we can't beat ourselves up too much for things like that because even even the disciples they saw Jesus, they were with him, and even they worried about things like that. So you know, one of the things that that uh, I can't speak for Kevin, but well, I can speak for Kevin because we've talked about this before. You know, we're not up here preaching out of a place of of holier than thou or or better than ye, or whatever. We're just, we're broken people too. They're just teaching about our experiences and and showing that we need God in our lives, just like everybody does in, in order to make it through. And just like to make it through these storms, we gotta have, we gotta have God in there. Um, so a lot of people think that when, when they become a Christian, the storms in life cease or quit. And that is not true. We all know that, okay? The storms do not cease. The one thing we get out of that is when we can become a Christian, we know then that we're we're never alone in those storms. The storms still happen, and sometimes they're worse because the devil has a hand in that too. 
And sometimes we face even worse storms in our lives, but, but now we know that, that we are not alone in those. Uh, just like uh, during that, you know, 60, 70 mile an hour wind blowing over the top of the hill trying to blow the roof off my house, I was pretty content because I knew God was there. Uh, you know, praying, praying hard and, and just, and, and not for myself. You know, I, this storm hit uh, Wyoming too, and my sister, they have a ranch up there where they run a lot of sheep and, and a lot of cattle too. But they were afraid for those sheep. They figured this was going to wipe out their, their whole ranch. So I was, I was praying for all the people in the livestock industry, all the people that would be out on the roads, all the people that, uh, that would be affected by it. Um, and so when, when, we, when we think about the preparation, well, let me back up a minute. So we're not when when we're Christians we we still face storms in our lives but but we know that we're not alone in and in Psalm 107 verse 28 it says Lord 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 help they cried in their trouble and he saved from their distress he calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves or Caleb uh, in Matthew 8 once again the the disciples are on the boat okay well this is actually before um they're on the boat and they're going across the, the Sea of Galilee and, and Jesus is sleeping because he's tired because he just ministered to, you know, 4,000 people. And he's tired, he's sleeping, um, and the storm comes up again, or the storm comes up, and they're freaking out. And here they got Jesus on the boat, and, and they're freaking out, and they, they wake him up and they say, Jesus, help us, we're going to die. And he's like, once again, where's your faith? I'm right here. But the, the cool thing about that is, even though they didn't have faith, they, they asked. They asked him for help. And, and that's all we have to do in this, these storms is ask for help, and he will calm the, he will calm the storm with a word. He can calm it. Uh, but we have to ask. Um, the Bible tells us that, that uh, these storms in our life uh, that are coming are going to be bigger. Because we're nearing the end times, and so the natural disasters and the and the storms and the the things that are coming are going to be bigger and worse. And that is to prepare us for for the end times to make sure that we know that that we're saved, and 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 it's going to kind of get people to have to decide, right? And so as these bigger storm comes, uh, we need to be prepared, and. A lot of people say, well, it's global warming causing all this stuff. I dare you to ask a Monta to t t talk to a Montana rancher about global warming right now. I dare you. They've had their February for a month. They did not get above zero degrees. Daytime highs were below zero. Okay. And so it's not global warming causing this stuff. It's, it's, it's what God said is going to happen. Okay. So uh, be prepared. How do we get prepared? We get right with God. We we get right with His Word. We um, just like we you know getting getting food and, and getting a generator and getting everything fed and getting everything ready before that storm. We have to get everything ready in our lives in our in our faith before these storms come, because then because then we can make it through them. We have to have connections. We have to have friends, right? That'll help us through those storms. We can't do it alone. We have to ask God for help. And once, when we're prepared like that, we'll make it through, Un, undoubtful. 
in Matthew, it says, build your house upon the faith of uh, the rock of God, upon faith, and then no storm can, can, and then it can withstand any storm. So that's how we need to build our faith, and we need to get started today. And I, I think the next time the weather caster forecasts a 60 mile an hour wind and and a foot of snow, people probably are gonna gonna not drive that day, right? <laughs> They're probably not gonna get on the road, okay? Because unfortunately, we've been told that it's coming and it and it hasn't before, and so people don't believe it. Well, believe it, it's coming, and believe it in your Christian life, it's coming. Get prepared. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, and thank you so much for opportunities to believe in you. These storms in our life come. Not, not, to, not to harm us, but to help us to learn to grow closer to you, Lord, and to learn to depend on you and understand that, that we can't do anything by ourselves. And we're at the mercy of, of uh, nature and the things that, that come along in our life and the devil and all those things. And, and the only thing we can do is look to you, God, and for help in those situations. Ask that we be with you and, and be in a constant state of prayer all the time, not, not just when a disaster is impending. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be a part of this ministry, and thank you so much for Kevin, who, who leads us and, and guides us and, and does all the things that behind the scenes that nobody knows about. Uh, thank you for the moisture. I ask you to be with anybody that, that is hurting, that is sick, that has uh, gotten trouble in this storm, that, that you'd be with them and, and help them turn it around. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Great job. Good morning, everybody. Glad to see everybody here. Some of you are lucky to be here, <laughs> not because of anything bad. Just I know some of you didn't get dug out till till yesterday, and uh, I didn't have to move a single snowflake. Uh, so I'm I'm very fortunate. Now that we got nine foot drifts, don't get me wrong, but just not where I had to drive to get out. That's what I meant by not move anything. So anyway, it was. Probably the worst I've seen since I've been up here as far as the weather goes. And uh, I kept going out to check on horses and cattle, and they looked at me like I was an idiot. Like, what are you doing out here? So I felt like an idiot. No, we, we take care of everything. And Ty and Brett do a great job out at the ranch. And uh, anyway, uh, welcome to Save the Cowboys, the sick pen for sinners, not a show ring for saints. We say it every single week. Uh, our my, my hope and prayer is that as you come to save the cowboy, that you are developing your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, okay? I don't want you to have a relationship with save the cowboy. I want you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. My goal every single week is to uh, tell you something about Jesus that, that hopefully brings you closer to him. But what happens in here... Um, has a far less effect on on your personal relationship with God as Monday through Saturday or Sunday at noon or Sunday at ten o'clock the rest of the time when you're not here and that's when I want you I want you working on your relationship with God okay how do we do that through prayer through reading his word through doing what you know you should do and staying away from the things that you don't okay Everybody heard the, the term everything in moderation. Well, you know what? To heck with that. You know what? If you, if you can do it, 
by all means do it. If you need to stay away from it, by all means stay away from it. Okay, it's it's not it's not rocket mechanics. Okay, so uh, don't don't do anything that takes you away from God, and do everything that brings you towards Him. Okay, that that's that's what my hope and and prayer is for you today. Uh, I I love Ezekiel thirty four sixteen where. Where God himself says, I will gather the lost and bring back those that have strayed away, bandage those that are injured, and strengthen those that are sick. Man, that's cowboy right there. That's why we believe that the cowboy way of life is such a great illustration of what it means to ride for the Lord. Okay? We're not just dressing up in, in, in an illustrative sense. We're not just dressing up in cowboy hats and calling ourselves cowboys. And I don't want to dress up like Christians and call ourselves Christians you know, I, I want us to get out there and, and, and be cowboys, be Christians, not just dress up like them and talk like them, but do the work that we have been called to do. It's the only way for us to become who God has called us to be. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. So, uh, dur- dur- during, the, during the blizzard, <laughs> it's kind of funny, uh, first thing... Uh, Deb Bredesen said to me this morning, she goes, well, there's, there's, uh, there's no shortage of things to talk about after a blizzard, is there? <laughs> well, that's true. And uh, so d- during the blizzard, all I could think about whenever I went out there the three times to check on the horses and, and the cattle, I, could, I, I didn't go to the other side because that's where the big cows are, but I went and checked on the younger ones that are right there by my house. And um, all I could think about is, is how much I miss Texas. And I don't miss Texas very often, I promise you. I do not miss Texas very often. And I knew all I had to do was walk outside with a pillowcase and I would be there very shortly. Very shortly. But uh, anyway, uh, you know, I shouldn't be hotter than the temperature. Okay? You know what I mean? It's just not right. So I, I sent a picture to somebody in Texas of me standing like on a, on a snowdrift about this high. And there's like bare ground and a snowdrift this high and I'm standing on top of it. And they texted me back and they said, how much snow did you get? And I said, well, we got between zero and nine feet, depending on where you stand. It was really strange. It only snowed in certain spots, (laughs) just in certain spots. It's real spotty snow, real spotty snow. Most of it landed in Gary Lauer's corrals. Went out there and saw that yesterday. We might be able to work cattle there in 2025. But then I got, you know, I was missing Texas, right? But then I got to thinking, Texas is hot, okay? So, so I did a little research, okay? I did a little research. The record temperature in Texas is 120 degrees, sat in 1930 in Seymour, Texas, and in 1994 in Monahans, Texas. 120 degrees, actual temperature. Not the heat index, the actual temperature, 120 degrees. Now, Seymour's a long way, but Monahans is only about 25 miles north of, of our ranch. And uh, Ty got to see this little low white house that, that me and my brother bought in about 1996 and 97. And uh, 
<laughs> anyway, it faces south. The only thing that would provide a shade, provide shade for this house, is the occasional buzzard that flew over. And it had a four by five foot plate glass window that faced south. You don't think about those things whenever you're young and buying your first house, right? Well, one day we got home, the, the, the very first day we moved in, it, it just rained like, you know, kind of like the, the, the blizzard of the, of the decade here. Well, this was the rain of, of the decade down there. And the day we moved in, I had just set up my bed. We had laid down new carpet and we're sitting in the living room taking a break and I hear something that sounds like a water leak. So I jump up and I run and it's still kind of go by the bathroom and it's not coming from the bathroom. And I get to my bedroom just in time to see two four by eight, four by eight sheets of sheetrock fall from a leak in the roof and land right on my bed. I laughed and turned around and went back and finished my drink. What else are you going to do, right? So later on that summer, I get home. Now it's a two bedroom, one bath. No central heat and air. And I walk, me and my brother get home, and I walk into the bathroom to do what you do in bathrooms, and the shower curtain was open. And anybody ever seen a head and shoulder shampoo bottle? They're kind of oblong and kind of skinny and about this tall. It was so hot in the bathroom that that shampoo bottle had melted and, and twisted over. Now, you tell me how hot it has to get to melt a head and shoulder shampoo bottle. And I was like, Jason, come here. He walked in there, and I was like, look at that. And he goes, might be a little warm in here. <laughs> yeah. And he walked out, and he was shaking his head, and I'm trying to pick up the shampoo bottle and throw it away. And he goes, Kevin, come here. And I walked in there, and it's been so hot that we set up some Venetian blinds over that four-by-five window. And it had melted the plastic Venetian blinds in the living room. We walked outside. Well, we, are, we already knew this. It was registering 117 on my truck thermometer. 117 degrees. So we did what any good cowboy does. We grabbed some carbonated beverages and drove to the Pecos River. And we jumped in the Pecos River. And we stayed there for about four minutes because I have never experienced this in my life. We are to our necks in water and I was sweating inside the water. Literally, imagine the hottest day in Colorado, maybe 100 degrees, maybe 102, and go get in a hot tub out in the middle of the sun. That's what it was like. You know it's hot when you jump in a river and it's too hot. So we just got back in the truck and we drove to a restaurant. <laughs> you know, people freeze themselves. That's what I thought about from Montana. People freeze themselves in hopes that science one day will be able to bring them back. People cremate themselves to ensure that they don't. The cold may preserve but the fire purifies. The fire purifies. We're in part two of a sermon series called The Peacemakers. The Peacemakers. The gist of last week's sermon was this. Peacekeepers, peacekeepers, 
will avoid a fight to pretend that there is peace in their lives. Peacekeepers will avoid a fight in order to pretend that there is peace in their lives. And peacemakers will pick a fight to ensure that there is peace. Now, when I say pick a fight, I'm not talking about with other people. I'm talking about with the person that that watched you brush your teeth this morning or that did brush your teeth this morning. I hope it was you. I hope it was you. That's who I'm talking about picking a fight with is that person inside of us because we are our own worst enemy, not other people, ourselves. Peacemakers know when to pick a fight. Peacekeepers, peacekeepers are destroyers of peace. Peacemakers are guardians of peace. So what does it take? to be a peacemaker. We talked about last week of of all of these things leading up and and we finished. uh, It was talking about wisdom, okay? Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. A peacemaker must have wisdom. And then the Bible says in James 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 17, but the wisdom from above, not worldly wisdom, not wisdom that you can find in the Encyclopedia Britannica or, you know, on Facebook, where a lot of you get your information from, we're not talking about Facebook wisdom, all right? We're talking about the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It is pure. Well, this isn't an exhaustive list, but it was the three things that came to mind, and I studied on what the Bible talks about about being pure, about the ways that we can be pure. Because, I mean, if we want to be peacemakers to ensure peace, instead of pretend that there's peace that usually leads to violence within ourselves and with others and stuff like that, if we want the wisdom that is from above, and wisdom is the key component of peacemaking, then we got to know where and how to get it. James says, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. Three ways the Bible talks about being pure. The very first one, to me, is the most obvious. Fire. Fire purifies. Dear friend, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says, Dear friends, don't be surprised about the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange was happening. You know, this is probably the reason that that most people come to Christ and and then turn their back on him because there's this sentimentality out there that, that if you come to Christ, that all of your problems will go away. And that is just not true. Sometimes, and, and, I'm, and I'm not talking about where sin is involved, but usually whenever I hear of somebody that said, oh, I, yeah, I, I just accepted Christ into my life, or they say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, I want to seriously hug them, hold their hands and say, I'm sorry. How hard has it been? Oh, it hadn't been hard at all. <laughs> no, you're lying then. Because it is difficult because you're turning your back on the ways of the world. We used to float down a river on a tube just going with the flow. Nothing, you know, not a care in the world, you know, except for some maybe rapids and and, and running out of something to drink or eat, you know. 
But when, when you're called to the Christian way of life, you get out of the tube and you walk upriver, and it's difficult. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation and not following the ways of the world are difficult. And Peter says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange was happening to you. God is purifying you. Now, he doesn't cause the problems, but he does use them to purify us. During these fiery trials, we have the opportunity to choose, am I going to follow my ways or God's ways? Man, fiery trials doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing something wrong. Unless it's a result of sin, a fiery trial might be because you're doing something exactly right. And God is making you into something that you could never become on your own. Fire is one of the ways that God uses to make us pure. Again, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 2, the prophet Malachi says, But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? When Jesus comes back with the voice of the archangel, the Bible says that people will cower in fear and run in caves and beg the mountains to fall on them, to shield them from the glory of God. Malachi is saying, when Jesus appears, who will be able to stand and not face him like, you know, in battle, but who will be able to stand in the presence and not act like a sissy and run? Well, he answers it. But who will be able to endure when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal or like strong soap that bleaches clothes. Only those that have been purified will be able to stand and face God and see his glory and rejoice in it because one of two things is going to happen. You're going to stand there and rejoice in that glory or that glory will terrify you and you will run off and beg the mountains to fall on you. And the difference is, is who is pure. Who is pure? Who has stood the test of fire and chosen God? Proverbs 17, 3 said, The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord will test your heart. Now, like I said, I do not believe that God necessarily just says, well, let's see how much, you know, let's put the magnifying glass on him. No, life is hard as it is. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're not a Christian or you are a Christian, life is tough. It's how we deal with those tough situations. And yes, God does, us, does allow us to go through these situations to refine us, to make us better. It's like a muscle, man. You know, unfortunately, man, most Christians, they, they, they sit on the couch and eat Cheetos and watch Netflix and then wonder why they're out of breath whenever they walk to the walk to the car. And I'm talking about a spiritual aspect of that. We've got to go through the fire in order to be pure because the wisdom from above is first of all pure. The second way the Bible talks about being pure is having an undivided heart. An undivided heart. In James chapter 4, now, we're in 317. 
So if you just, you know, probably a space is skipped after 3.18 and James talks, he's been talking about peacemakers and wisdom and all of this stuff. And then in James chapter four, starting in verse one, he says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? And then in the last part of three, of, of verse three in James chapter four, he says, you only want what gives you pleasure. You only want what gives you pleasure. That's what he is saying. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? And then in the last part of verse three, he summarizes it for us. And he says, the reason that there's quarrels and fights among you and is the evil desires are within you. And that evil desire is you only want what gives you pleasure. Let me put that in a simplified cowboy version. You only want what makes it easier on you. You don't care if it's right or wrong. You, you are going to go through life and judge everything on how you feel about it and how it affects you. That's what causes the fights and quarrels among us and inside of us. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, he talks about it for another, you know, four, four verses. And then he concludes in verse 8. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. What he's saying right there is, man, the only remedy, the only remedy is to get close to God, is to ride up next to him. And I told you at the very beginning that that's my only prayer. Well, maybe not my only prayer, but my greatest wish is for you to have a personal relationship. And what that means is I want you and God tight, real tight. Come close to God and he will come close to you. And then he says, wash your hands, you sinners. In other words, we need to repent. Man, you... Give up all of those things that are hurting you. Yes, they bring you immediate pleasure and then the consequences are horrible later on. You get instant gratification and sometimes suffer a lifetime of pain because of it. Man, you, you know what you should do and you know what you shouldn't do. Do the things you know is right and stay away from the things that ain't. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. How do you purify your heart? He tells you right there. Your loyalty is divided between God and the world. You've got to choose God, man. You've got to be loyal to God. And what does it mean to be loyal to God? You do things the way God says to do them. And what did <clears throat> Jesus kind of summarize everything? He said, love the Lord your heart with all your heart, or love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Every single day, we should do that. First of all, the wisdom from above is pure. Man, you're not going to take, it's God's wisdom and it's pure, but you're not going to take refined gold and go pour it in the toilet, okay? It's not going to happen. But you will take 
refined pure gold and make it into something beautiful. But first of all, we have to have Christ's help to become that pure, which leads to the third way about being pure. We need to live unpolluted lives. Just like I said, man, you, would, you wouldn't take solid gold and pour it in a porta potty. You wouldn't do it, but you would take that and make it into something beautiful for the glory of God. And that's what God wants to do with your life. Once again, James, instead of chapter four, he goes to chapter back. We'll go back to chapter one, verse 27. James says this, James is the half brother of Jesus, ruler of the church or head of the church in Jerusalem. James 1.27, pure and genuine religion, pure and genuine religion. And we're not talking about religion in the negative sense. Basically, your belief system, okay? Pure and genuine belief system in the sight of God means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. That's what James says pure is. Pure and genuine religion. A person is pure and genuine, has a genuine belief system when he takes care of orphans and widows in their distress and refuses to let the world corrupt you. Next week, we will see how to avoid that corruption and pollution that the world tries to inflict upon us. Let me give you just a little bit of summary. Purity, in the, when we're talking about peacemaking, and we're talking about pure wisdom, okay? Purity never needs to apologize. Purity never needs to apologize. That's how you tell the difference. There are two types of people that can pick a fight. There's two types of people that can pick a fight. Bullies and peacemakers. Those are the types of people that will pick a fight. Bullies and peacemakers. I've had to or needed to apologize for most of the fights I've ever picked because I was a bully. You wouldn't think, well, it's not hard to imagine a 6'2", 250 being a bully, but you know, sometimes the worst bullies are those little skinny kids. But I was a bully. Not necessarily uh, in the way that you might think, but just because I would pick a fight with anybody that, that I thought dared to cross me. Not that I went out and just bullied people, but if somebody said something that was cross to me, by gosh, we was going to have a reckoning. It wasn't about winning or losing the fight. It was about the reckoning. And we, we, we was going to come to a reckoning by hitting each other in the face until there was a reckoning. That's a bully. And 99% of the time, I was wrong. Purity never needs to apologize. And I've needed to apologize for most of the fights I've ever picked. 
True peacemakers are pure because of the wisdom that they have is from God. They don't say things they don't mean. They don't say things they don't mean. They never condemn and never accuse. Peacemakers are selfless, never selfish. Selfless points toward God. Selfish points towards ourselves. Selfless said, let's do it God's way. Selfish says, do it my way. That's the difference in a peacemaker and a bully. Peacemakers are in control at all times. Peacemakers are in control at all times. That's what being pure is. You cannot be pure and out of control, letting your mouth just shoot off. For some of us, you know, the funny saying, I'm not responsible for what my face says, you know? Yes, we are. And a peacemaker's only goal is peace and unity. Never to divide and conquer. Peacemaker's only goal is peace and unity. And next week, we'll see how we can get there. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, creating us a pure heart for peacemaking. Let us grow closer together and be a crew that can work together for one purpose, and that is to share the good news with others. We know that you will purify us through fires of affliction to see if we have the right kind of metal. But God, we know that we do because you don't make junk. We've just piled a lot of junk on top and it needs to be removed so that we can become who you've made us to be. Let us not back down from your preparation, discipline, or your love. You wouldn't do it if we weren't your kids. Thank you for adopting us, loving us, and for saving us. We either welcome the fire of purification for a time today or experience the fire of our wrong choices for eternity. God, please make us strong. Please make us pure. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Just so you know, I love each and every one of you. And I thank God for you every single day, not just with my words, but with my actions. I am so grateful that y'all have helped me become the man that I am. And I hope that I can play a small part in helping you become everything that God has made you to be. I love y'all and we'll see you next week.